are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. We wanted to kick off this podcast series with an in-depth exploration of co-host Jessie's experiences throughout the fashion supply chain. Jessie began her journey in the fashion supply chain working for a third-party quality inspection company in China. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the role of these third-party inspection companies. What are they? Why do we have them? What's their relationship to suppliers or to production facilities and to the brands? We look at the gray zones inherent to quality inspection and the way those gray zones can be exploited by different parties to reduce their risks. For example, the way that brands minimize the risk of excess inventory and poor sales performance by contractually tying their own sales performance to the quality and on-time delivery of the products from the factory. Although this might make sense on a theoretical level, we explore how it can be abused and directly contributes to the deterioration of trust and partnership across the supply chain. Trust and ways of coping with risk are key themes that emerge, and while we certainly don't have all the answers, we hope that by reframing some of the questions, we can gently prod the conversation about sustainability in a different direction. As sustainability advocates, we need to talk about this tension between risk and trust, and how we might be able to strike a better balance. And finally, we apologize for the little bit of background noise you'll hear at times. For our listeners who have been to Cambodia before, where Jesse is currently based, you'll know that it's not a quiet place. And it's somehow quite fitting that this place that's had such an important role in both of our lives has found a way to insert itself, quite literally, into the stories we want to tell. Jesse, I'm so glad that we are doing this and that we're having a chance to hear your story because I know just from my own personal perspective, uh, I find your story so interesting. I mean, uh, you've you've had a chance to work um, not only in China and in Cambodia, but in some very different parts of the fashion supply chain. And I'm so excited that our listeners um, also get to hear a little bit about your experiences and your point of view. Maybe we can start quite generally. You know, who's Jessie Lee? Where are you from? How did you decide to get into the fashion industry? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Where did this journey start for you? Okay, that's a that's an interesting question. So I come from China. My hometown is the middle of China, Hubei province. I lived in Shenzhen for a few years. Then after I moved to Shanghai. So I started my first job in Shenzhen around two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, it 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 was a third party quality inspection company. Maybe Just, let's backtrack a second. Yeah. For the list, our listeners who don't know, what's a third-party inspection company? So I, I'm going to give uh, uh, my own understanding, of course, not a dictionary definition. <laughs> um, That's all we can ask for. So, for instance, you have a brand in, let's say, in Europe, and mm -hmm. you have the factory, you have the production in China. So it's quite mm -hmm. far. So factory usually have factories quality department, but uh, mm -hmm. to make it quite fair for some brands, this is a routine. So the brands will authorize a third-party quality inspection company to go to the factory to check the quality of the finished goods. 
So this is the business of third-party quality inspection right. company. So the third-party inspection company is actually being hired by the brand to go and inspect either a textile mill or a, a cut-and-sew facility. And, and the role of the inspection company is to basically approve or certify uh, the finished good. Yes, yes. When the inspection process finished, the inspection company has the responsibility to issue an official inspection report, uh, directly sent to the customer, to the brands. Mm. And meanwhile, also inform the factories about the inspection results. So mm. from the beginning of the process till the end, third party inspection company is on a, as the name indicates, a third party, a third position. It doesn't mm. represent brands. It doesn't represent uh, factories. It's just mm. uh, the brands are just the customers or the clients of the third-party inspection companies. Right. Okay. Thanks for giving that context. So to make it uh, uh, easier to understand, let's say, so in, in, in inspection companies, you have inspectors, uh, which mm. doesn't mean detectives, just inspectors means people will go to the production facility to check the quality of the finished goods. So why would just, I think, one more piece of context that might be helpful to give to listeners. Why would, because a lot of factories have their own quality assurance programs uh, and systems. So why would a brand hire a third-party inspection company instead of working, say, directly with the supplier to improve their quality systems? Uh, that is a very good question. <laughs> to answer it, we have to talk about the quality standards, of course. And okay. uh, yes, once people get into production fields, the first thing we we uh, we need to know or we need to set up is the standard of quality, right? Otherwise, mm. the customer will speak in their own languages and the factories speak in another languages. So there mm. is a established quality standard, which is unified everywhere or applied to, uh, let's say, everyone grace on it. Give an example, a term, AQL level. I think AQL mm. level, you heard about it. So no matter... <laughs> you, you I, are wish not I, just heard, I wish I hadn't heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> so as long as, no matter you are from brands or you are from factory or you are from trading company, it doesn't matter. As long as you speak about AQL level, then everybody understand. So what is AQL level? It's established uh, standard or you can call it as reference. So when everyone speaks about AQL level, we are speaking in the same language. Then for instance, it will define two big terms, major defects and minor defects and then under each defects it gives uh, tolerance and this tolerance is expressed as numbers for instance um color shading or let's say mm. bleeding this mm. uh, this definitely a major defect right but how mm. many color shading for instance there is a pants uh, a denim, mm -hmm. let's say there is a color shading so how many you found one and color shading here means like that it's not quite the right it's Colors. not quite the right yeah. color. Yeah. yeah, it happened when the dyeing process or some other defects, it happened in the production process. Mm. So mm. then you have to talk about the numbers. You have to qualify these defects. So mm. this is what I mean by saying standard or reference. We use terms and mm -hmm. qualify the standards to mm. set up a system or set up a reference for everyone so everyone can understand 
how to evaluate or everyone can evaluate the quality of a product. Mm. So this system, yeah. So it, it's, it's designed to seem, I think, like a science, right? Like something that you can quantify, something that basically is uh, devoid or absent of human judgment. But that was, that was actually quite different from your experience in practice, right? Yeah, well, um, yes, let's say <laughs> you, you mentioned <laughs> the word quantified. That's very interesting because the number of, so, of the defects, of course, is quantified. However, the definition of defects is, uh, is not quantified or it's mm. more like a descript, uh, des description. It's a description. Mm. So when it's a description, it's, uh, you cannot avoid the subjectivity and not mentioning People who conduct inspections are, I mean, human. So mm -hmm. we have uh, tours, but we also use visual checking. So when you do visual checking, how to apply, how to conduct, how to carry out those uh, standards is quite uh, subjective, let's say. Mm. For instance, for some major defects, it's easier. It's much more strict and we have all kinds of tours. We have experiences, so it's easier. But for minor defects, the numbers of minor defects is uh, not the tolerance of uh, minor defects is uh, not that strict, let's say. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting angle to highlight because I think, you know, you've mentioned to me before that when you started uh, spending time in factories, how it changed your perception, you know, that it's not like a factory isn't just a thing where raw materials go in and then they come out finished products and that there's machines doing all of this. So much of this is still done manually, including quality and quality. What one person thinks is good is not the same as what another person thinks is good. And although as an industry, we try and set up rules that help us to make, let's say, more consistent decisions, at the end of the day, it's someone's judgment call, right? Yes, yes. At the end, it's uh, someone's judge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, my, my experience was we had so many quality defects, which I think if you had put them in front of a customer, an end customer, a consumer, would never have ever even seen the difference. And um, just as an example, um, when I when I got when I got married uh, last year, uh, Pactix let me take some of the quality defects and give them to our wedding guests as gifts. <laughs> uh, some of these eyeglass cleaning cloths, and all of our wedding guests were like, "I, you know, these are beautiful. We're so happy to have these cleaning cloths." And when I told them that they were quality defects, they were shocked. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's the very interesting area. That's the let's gray zone actually. Mm. We're talking about quality standards and defects can be quantified. However, there are some gray zones. You cannot quantify mm. them. For instance, give you an example, you know, sweaters. Sweaters are knitted. Mm. And the knitting wear is not easy to fold it as accurately as uh, woven jackets. Right, because it stretches. And I mean, if you yes. imagine like your grandma's knitted sweater, when you place it down one way, it's a little bigger than when you place it down another way. 
Yes, for example, for example, all these knitting sweaters probably made by machine. Uh, not probably, definitely made by They're machines. They're made by like these circular knitting machines, right? Yes. So the tension on each sweater is more or less the same. However, when you try to measure the length from the shoulder to the sleeve, let's say the total length of the sleeve, uh, you take the ruler and how much strength you put on sweater, you stretch it a little bit longer, you stretch, you don't stretch it, then your result could be quite different. So tolerance is very important. You give tolerance like plus minus five millimeter or plus minus one cm. Of course, experiences is very important. Clear definition is very important. Clear standard is also very important. However, trust is more important than all this, I would say. Uh, sometimes the factory might have a very tight schedule of production. So the factory, of course, wants to ship out goods on time. And if the inspection result is not positive, even if it's just a minor defect, the factory needs to spend a few more days working on the minor defects and to make the final goods reach quality standard and to ship out. So in this case, if the customer trusts the inspection report and trusts the report from inspectors, if the inspector's report shows uh, minor defects, it can be quickly or easily finished, uh, corrected. So the goods can mm. be shipped on time. And if the customer trusts those reports, then the relationship... And by customer, between, you mean the brand, right? Yeah, if the brand trusts mm. the inspection report, and then the connection between the brands, the suppliers, and inspection companies would be very smooth. Mm. But if the brands have doubts on the inspection reports, then it might take much longer time to straight out whether the inspection results reflect reality or not. And that would, uh, yeah. So make why would they have a doubt? Hmm. <laughs> that is, uh, because it's, um, I don't really want to say it's a game. I don't really, I would like to say, well, I don't think you have to say it's a game, right? But different players in the supply chain have different interests. And I yeah. think that that is okay to acknowledge and normal to acknowledge. And we would be silly not to acknowledge it. That doesn't mean that, you know, it's impossible for those parties to work together. Certainly not. But we have to acknowledge that their positioning within the industry is different. And therefore, what they want out of it, in some cases, is also different. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's true. The um, different players and different interests, that's very true. In this case, we have three different players, the brands, mm. the suppliers, let's say the production facilities and the uh, inspection companies. So three mm. different players, three different positions, and uh, they focus on different interests. For instance, for brands, what are the most important? They need the goods to be shipped out on time. That's for sure. Otherwise, when, when it's time, the shops are empty. This is uh, quite serious. So first interest for them is to have goods shipped out. And the second interest, which share the same importance as the first one, that is the quality of the goods. You don't want to have your pants finally arrived in the shop and find out there are lots of uh, uncutted threads <laughs> or... The button is uh, losing well, or, or unintentionally uncutted threads because it seems like it's a trend <laughs> these days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that's the interest, the major interest of brands. So the, what brands want is ship out the goods on time and guarantee the quality. And then mm. another player is the suppliers, factories. 
So what are their、mm. interests? On this point, they share the same interest as、uh, brands when the goods are ready. They want to ship out the goods as quickly as they can because let's the let's the paid. Yes, <laughs> they can get paid faster, so they can ease the financial pressure. And they also want a positive inspection result. Otherwise, the brands will have lots of questions, maybe penalties as well.、Mm-hmm. So on this point, they share. They are on the same page. Can you give an、all. example of a penalty? If if the first inspection, if a factory failed the first inspection, but it's、mm-hmm. all minor minor defects, they can、mm-hmm. correct.、Uh, so they correct it. So the second inspection、mm-hmm. passed, but the shipment date is delayed. In this case,、right. usually they will have discount. They will have to discount.、Uh, mm. So this is one bad result. Kind of penalty. Yeah, kind of penalty, but we call it as discount. Let's say. So another. <laughs> And then and the goods shipped out. But then after the sales season, after the season,、uh, f- mm-hmm. when brands receive the sales figures, they figured、uh, they can see these pants didn't sell very well. You have several、mm-hmm. reasons.、Uh, sales department、mm-hmm. usually will find a few reasons. Maybe because、mm-hmm. didn't arrive on time, so missed a、mm-hmm. good chance. Maybe because some defect defects. Minor defects or some defects, anyway. Quality, yes, quality. So for so those they'll, reasons, they'll, they'll make a link between the sales performance and the factory performance. They make a link, yes, between the、yeah. sales performance, yeah, to the production, yeah.、Mm. So this interesting. In this case, not all the brands will issue penalties. Some brands will. So this really depends on the contract the brands and the suppliers signed for. So at this moment, when everything is finished, when the goods are done. The factories share the same interest as the brands. They all want the goods to be shipped out on time and with a positive inspection re- report, a positive、mm-hmm. inspection result. And、mm-hmm. inspection companies, however, as the third player in the supply chain, they have probably different interests. So the、mm-hmm. first interest of、uh, inspection company is to make sure the inspection result reflect the reality of the production. Mm. So by saying that, it means we need to trust the inspectors on the site, trust their experiences, trust their morality, trust,、uh, yeah, the impartial of the result,、mm-hmm. and their and, judgment ultimately, and、right? the judgment, it yeah, goes back to, you know, that ultimately quality standards are a subjective thing. Yes, exactly. So the inspection company needs to trust its、uh, inspectors、uh, in terms of experiences and、uh, justice and honesty.、Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the first interest that they want the inspection re- report reflect the reality. And、mm-hmm. uh, second interest is that's very interesting to ship out the goods、uh, on time. So they don't want the inspection report eventually becomes the only reason. Of a late shipment. In that case, inspection company will have some pressure. Sometimes, quite a lot of pressure from the brands.、Mm. So they would like to understand why, what, and how. So、mm. in that case, so at this point, you could say the three players they share some common interest and they、mm-hmm. should work together quite closely. However, as you can understand, <laughs> it's a it's a remote、uh, connection. It's quite far,、mm-hmm. so and the inspection company. Can you give an example? 
example of uh, the cooperation. Well, when you, you mean- say it's a, like, okay, we've established that uh, brands are interested in getting the goods on time and also to a high quality standard. Suppliers also are interested in getting the goods out on time and to a high quality standard. Inspection companies are interested uh, basically in the integrity of their reports to make sure that they cannot be blamed for high, you know, a good passing quality inspection, but then arriving with the brand and uh, the brand saying, well, this is bad. Um, And at the same time, also to get the goods out on time, right? So there's quite a lot of between these parties, although they're in different positions, there are quite a lot of, uh, let's say, on a theoretical level, shared interests and shared objectives, um, even though each each party is in a slightly different position within the within the supply chain. But I think in practice, what you and 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 I I want to go back to what you were saying about the absence of trust that the absence of trust between these parties actually you know can make it such that uh, that although there are all these aligned and shared objectives, that they're not really working very well together, right? Yeah, not really. Um, <laughs> not really. And uh, that deeply related to what kind of contract everyone signed at the first place. But can you maybe, can you ex- describe uh, some of your experience or insight into sort of the difference between theory and practice and how how although there are these shared objectives in practice maybe these parties are not really working in a way that supports one another and maybe even undermines one another yeah that really related to the contract uh, contracts they signed uh, at the same time or let's say that's really related to the contract set up by the brands. Uh, give you mm-hmm. an example. When the brand signed a contract with the inspection company, if it has some uh, terms quite clearly saying if the uh, how to say if the inspection report or the if the inspection is approved and not reflecting reality honestly, then the brands have right to issue penalties after after found out. You might say this term is very reasonable. However, uh when you practice in practice, it's very difficult mm. to, it, 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 it can be, this term can be played for other purpose. I will give example later. The brand might sign a contract with uh, factories too, with the similar terms to say, if the quality is not, is proved not okay. And if the shipment delayed because of quality reasons, then the brands have right to issue penalties or uh, ask for discount and so on. So it sounds very reasonable. So in practice, how that can happen? You see, when the brand place an order, that usually is uh, at least, let's say, two months or three months before production. And then during two or three months, the market can change. So for a brand, it's very important to have goods match with the trends of the market. Yes, they want to be flexible. They want to always catch the trend. So probably when the goods are ready, they realize "Mm, maybe this color or this style, maybe something small on that will influence the sales. So in this case, the best way to offset the potential risks is to have some discount. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have good reasons, you cannot bargain for a discount. Not for the the end consumer, but discount on the price that they pay, right? Yes, discount on the finished goods. Pay the supplier for, for those finished goods. Yes, they might want to ask for a discount on the finished goods, which they need a good reason for that. So 
inspection report plays a role of mm. it might help for for it might help the brand to ask for a discount it depends on the inspection report result so right. that's the way uh, so it can be used as a tool for i mean like what you were saying earlier there's a connection drawn between sales performance and factory performance and that link can be abused potentially or has the potential to be abused if sales performance is poor for reasons other than factory performance or quality of the goods that inspection reports can be kind of used have the potential to be used as a tool for 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 basically trying to minimize that risk so saying okay uh well we're going to make the case that the that the reason the sales were not good had to do with the quality when in fact maybe we they just ordered too much for example yes for example maybe they just real they just ordered too much so an inspection report could be a tool used for um, negotiation or for bugging related to discount mm-hmm. or, or use the later. Yeah. Or use the later as a penalty. And so mm-hmm. factories, uh, of course can understand the game quite well. So for factories, they also, they could, uh, they have motives, let's say, to use inspection reports to fasten the shipping schedule. So in this way, mm-hmm. they also avoid some instant risks. As we as we understand, factory can only ask for payment uh, after the goods are shipped out. Mm. So if the, if the defects are just a minor defects and not quite serious, or it can be corrected, and if they can make sure the first inspection report is uh, okay, it's smooth, then the goods probably can leave factories right on time. So the most important for factory, their motive is to influence inspectors to have positive is a result on the first inspection report so there's no right. delay so, there's no delay. so yes. and by influence that could mean a couple of different things right <laughs> i say influence it can uh it can mean uh totally legal they just try to have a good relationship or good connection with the inspectors mm-hmm. if it's always the same inspectors which we try to avoid and by saying influence it could be something illegal so then it's the gray zone. Then it's uh it's something bigger. Then it will like involve yes. Then it will involve investigation from the companies. However, right. taking a bribe is very risky for inspectors. Very very mm. risky. Um, for instance, one day our CEO received a, a phone call, and she after she asked me to get involved in investigation to check out one small detail. So I was mm. not uh, um, the the investigation was not led by me. I was just in, involved for a very small detail to find out if one inspector is honest or mm. not. Um, mm. So this is a very tricky situation. Just imagine if it turned out. Everything proved the inspector took the bribe. Can we mm. see the inspection result is fake? We can't see, right? Right. It could be, right. it could be he did a good job. It could be he took a bribe last time, but this time he didn't and his inspection is result is valid, right? Or it could be, uh, he didn't. He mm-hmm. is honest since the beginning until now. It's just uh, the factory tried to frame him. So we have to, yeah, so we have to send another inspector. So get another, maybe better result for them, or they try to get a better result or something. Right. So So the, the factories have an, have our, let's say, have 
potentially have the motivation to 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 try and uh, frame or undermine the credibility of the inspection company so that uh, those reports can't be used against them later down the line when the sales are not so good. And yeah, and it can be totally different story. It can be uh, there is a inspector not honest uh, wanted to ask for bribe, and the factory don't uh, didn't want to offer it, and then the inspector just uh, framed the factory. That's also very possible, right? That right. is also very possible. So the inspector would just uh, report to give a negative result to the factory, and the factory reported the inspector to the inspection company. That is also mm. very, very possible. So you can see the situation becomes very complicated. And in my eyes, it becomes so complicated just because the brands try to bond its own responsibilities or risks or, yeah, risks and the responsibilities bonded with suppliers and inspection companies. Mm. If the brand doesn't have such terms in the contract signed with uh, inspection company or signed with factories, then both inspection companies and the factories would have much less uh, pressure. A lot more trust. Yes. We have more trust and less pressure and uh, less gameplay, let's say. Mm. So in my eyes, it's, uh, it's really related to the context, to the environment. And I think that the absence of trust is really an important point to drive home here and how the fact that these three parties really don't trust each other um, actually kind of ends up undermining everyone's uh, everyone's goals. And I wonder if you'd share, you once told me an example about a security camera, and I wonder if you'd be willing to share that example because it, I think it just illustrates so clearly how as soon as the trust is broken, you, you end up in this like downward spiral of, of sort of finding ways of trying to exert control. Right. Yeah, I heard this story from someone else. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just a story I heard. I didn't say, but I heard some for uh, sometimes for some inspection companies, in order to gain the trust of long brands, they or the factories, let's say, they would install a camera above the inspector's head. So when the inspector is doing the quality checking. Uh, brands mm -hmm. can see exactly what they are exactly doing from the other side of the camera, right. from the from the screen. Yeah, this is uh, really crazy. When I heard the story, I felt the trust here is uh, it's not just a zero; it's minus. However, yeah. when I when I tried to get into the shoes of the inspection company, I think maybe this is a how to say maybe this is a, a good choice. Logical. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if you are the inspection company, how can you prove you? You are doing a good job. It's very difficult yeah. to prove. It's remote. Uh, brands cannot see. And not everyone in the brand understand uh, that well or have so much experiences in, in the quality checking. So the only right. way you can prove you are honest and clean is to install a camera to directly show them how the work has been done. Well, right. in practice, sometimes it might bring more conflicts. But uh, if I am the inspection company, yeah, probably I will do the same. 
Probably. Yeah, and it is logical. And, it, and within this context, it does make sense, right? But at the same time, it poses such a challenge to partnership. And it's totally unsustainable. It's a totally unsustainable way of doing business at scale. Like we can't have people sitting watching video camera footage of people inspecting the, you know, millions of clothes we produce every year, right? Yeah. Like, um, and, and so I think it's an in interesting tension because on the one hand, it is a logical solution to the problem at hand on its surface, I think. But if you dig a little deeper and you look at the industry as a whole and you take this as an example of just how pervasive the lack of trust is between players across the supply chain, you just like, it just, it's like, well, if we have to have security cameras on us in order to be able to work together, how are we ever going to work together to try and solve some of these really complex uh uh, and, and urgent sustainability problems ahead of us. Yeah, and most uh, ridiculous, let's say, most ridiculous things, <laughs> as, uh, as you mentioned in your wedding, and consumers probably don't think it's a big problem. It's Yeah, it's like comedy of the absurd, right? Yeah, for instance, we have some defects. I mean, some defects don't influence or don't affect the function at all. You have a thread end somewhere on the, let's say on the, on the back side of a jacket. Who cares? I mean, you cannot yeah. see it or the end consumers could just cut it, right? It's not a, maybe that's why it's a mi uh, minor defect, but even some major defects, for instance, let's say on the jacket, you have two pockets. It's not strict, strictly on the same line. Maybe the tolerance is, uh, is, uh, plus minus five centimeter and, uh, Sorry, plus minus five millimeter. And in the end, it's like five uh, centimeter. That, that yeah, would be sorry. great. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not for the consumer, but <laughs> yeah, the tolerance is probably just the plus minus five millimeter and uh, end up one pocket is uh, unfortunately eight millimeters higher than the other one or what? Eight right. millimeters. You don't see it by your eyes and probably you see it, but it doesn't affect the function. So. Mm to waste so much products just because one... Yeah, I think it begs the question, right? The supply chain invests, like as a fashion supply chain collective, we invest so much time and energy into, and, and money ultimately, into things that, you know, you could argue or you could question what's the value added even to the end consumer, right? Yes, Yes. So, and, and, and what if we could take all of that energy and all of those resources, time and money, and put it towards trying to solve, you know, the sustainability challenges that the industry faces, instead of a cost which doesn't have any value added for the end, for the end user? Yeah, exactly. But this probably sounds naive, but I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> so, okay. Mm. Uh, so that was my first job in fashion business. So it's mm. it's really a it's really it's really impressive. It impressed me to understand the gray zone of quality checking, and it opens my mind to say. In supply chain, you have so many different players, and everyone, of course, has their own positions and interests, and a good setting or a good context or a good contract, let's say, usually set up by the brands. So if the context 
or the environment is set up well, you could save lots of energy, lots of fighting, lots of negotiations, and just focusing on how to make the work well done. So that's mm. that's what I learned. And then just quickly to wrap it up, uh, Rose, uh, I remember every season, usually you have two seasons per year, spring and uh, summer, autumn and spring, uh, sorry, autumn and winter. So usually at the end of each season, the management of the company will have lots of meetings with brands. And in those meetings, it's all about negotiations. It's all about penalties and discounts. So because that company signed a contract with brands to... Uh, to bond the sales performance with inspection results, let's say, or to bond inspection results to the reality. So at the end of each season, that is the moment to have lots of negotiations, um, penalties. My first job experiences makes me realize how important trust it, it is. Trust mm-hmm. basically is a guideline to help us or protect us when we worked in some gray zones. Okay, so... Jesse, I think a really interesting way to wrap up this conversation about third-party inspection companies and your time there is to to connect it for our listeners to current events and to global pandemic and the coronavirus. In the news recently, there's uh, been a lot of attention on cancelled orders by brands and understandably a lot of outrage. You know, how can orders be cancelled for goods that have already been produced? And um, I think... It's worth tying that to this conversation because, you know, one of the things that you articulate quite clearly is how, and you were working, it should be highlighted also, working for third-party inspection, almost a third-party inspection company, almost 15 years ago. And at that time, even 15 years ago, what we already saw happening was that sales performance was contractually bonded or bound to the performance of the factory. And when I say performance of the factory here, really what I mean is on-time delivery and quality of goods. And that the third-party inspection companies are a tool basically in that in that uh, situation and, and a tool that can be leveraged and abused to basically uh, absolve brands of their responsibility to pay for and assume inventory and goods that uh, they can't sell and but once again that have already been produced and so I think that uh, it very much connects to what's going on today because now suddenly we see all of this outrage over brands not paying for goods that factories have already been produced that for goods that factories have already produced when in fact this is something that has been happening for a really long time in the industry. And what we see now is just a more extreme version of business as usual, right? And I I would hate for consumers to walk away from what they're reading about in the news now and and to think, well, this is a one-time thing. This is an extreme situation and the wrong call was made. And if we can reverse this call, then things will be okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. It's, um, I share the same feeling. I, I knew the pandemic or the epidemic might happen only, I don't know, 40, 50 years for one time. But actually, mm. this reality is a kind of daily life the factories are facing almost uh, every day for, yeah, quite a long time, at least uh, 
since the day I joined this industry. So it's like <laughs> probably 14, before. 15, <laughs> yeah, very likely it's before. So yeah, it has been happening for a long time that uh, brands, it's also part of their risk management, I think, in order to mm. manage the risks of uh, adapting a fast changing market. So they mm. might uh, discount the finished goods or cancel orders or postpone shipment and so or on. Or claim so on. that there's problems with the quality or with the on-time delivery and that that's the reason that those goods didn't sell. Yes. And most important, I think, for and consumers to know is uh, factories already upfront lots of investment into those, uh, into those orders, no matter they just produce the one day or 30 days, one week mm. or three weeks. Actually, there are already investments inputted into those production activities and those, those investments most of the time, even shared with brands, it's still a small part. The bigger part is actually still invested by the factories, right? Right. That the that the that the fronting of the cost of production uh, is really borne in large part by the factory, even when there are deposits, uh, which oftentimes there are not. But even then, you know, it's it's really the factories who assume the risk, and uh, that there are a lot of uh, ways that uh, well, third party, as we heard today, third party inspection companies are one way. Then that 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 brands seek to to cope with uh, with an with an unpredictable demand, and that's exactly what we're seeing now with the coronavirus. Suddenly, the demand has changed enormously overnight. And okay, uh, it's a more extreme change than maybe what we've seen in the past, but it's certainly not uh, a change in market demand. Is 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 part of the game? Right. And maybe we don't expect to have such extreme changes like what we've seen now during global pandemic. But changes in, in market demand as a rule are part of the game. And that the way that we've sort of set up as an industry systems for coping with that and for allocating uh, responsibility for the risk for that to various players in the supply chain is nothing new. And so it's not surprising that now when when we see an extreme change in 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 demand, that uh, that we also see extreme consequences for for partners further down the supply chain. And one of the things that really surprised me, actually, I had a couple of conversations with journalists or with researchers who were looking to get insight into what was going on back in in March when this was first first playing out. And I got a lot of questions about the for, force majeure clause, right? The the legal the legal the 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 clause in in contracts between suppliers and their customers, brands, that basically says, you know, in the event of an act of God or an unforeseeable event such as global pandemic, that the contract is null and void. And I had a lot of questions about this clause. People wanted, the people I was talking to, they said, can you give me, can, can you give us copies of your contracts? We want to see these contracts. And I understand why, right? Because in very practical terms, they're looking for an immediate solution. They're looking for a way to argue that brands can't basically cancel all of these orders just because of a global pandemic. And so they're looking for tools for doing that. And so I understand the emphasis on the force majeure clause and why I got so many questions about that. But at the same time, it somehow didn't sit quite right with me because it also reinforces this narrative 
of global pandemic and mass sweeping order cancellations being a one-time thing. And, you know, as we said, yes, okay, it's an extreme iteration and it deserves a lot of attention. But it's, for me, very much a, a more extreme version of business as usual, as opposed to an anomaly or a one-time isolated event, right? Yeah. This global epidemic may be, uh, let's say, maybe a opportunity, a reason to bring all these issues up to the surfaces. But the reasons behind all these issues are not a global pandemic. The reasons mm. behind the order cancellation or discount or the very imbalanced risks sharing is actually the reasons behind all this is actually the risk management system, let's say, or the ideas uh, with brands. Let's say how the, are the we drive going to- the drive by brands to minimize their risk. Yes, exactly. And how they say the whole thing, how they say the risks, how they cope with the risks, and how they want to use all kinds of tools or, or uh, yeah, or use all kinds of tools to leverage all these uh, risks to manage right. those risks, including right. the contract you said just now. Yeah, right. And and then you know, I think we can conclude for listeners by. By I think sharing. I mean, if if you take anything away from this conversation about third party inspection companies, um, it's it's, uh, and you want to apply it to what you see happening now in the news and in the garment industry more generally, it's that there are a lot of these kinds of tools and ways of leveraging power and leveraging risk and or seeking to minimize your risk, and uh, that. What Jesse has described with these third-party inspection companies is just one example of how this plays out and um, and how really what we see happening now today is a more extreme version of business as usual and not a one-time thing. Yeah, it's not a one-time. It's just an opportunity to bring all this back to the surface, but it's not the actually the reason behind and it's not a one time it's actually happening every day let's say every season Mm, every season yeah yeah okay i think that's the perfect way to wrap up jesse thank you so much for sharing your thoughts uh and your insight into your time with a third-party inspection company it was really insightful for me and i think it will be for our listeners as well thank you kim thank you for sharing this conversation it's quite uh, interesting yeah inspiring I enjoy. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to tune in next week too, when we'll cover Jessie's second stop on the fashion supply chain when she goes to work in-house for a brand as a merchandising manager. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, check out our website, manufacturedpodcast.com or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. Leave comments on Instagram or connect with us privately through our website. From June 16, you'll be able to find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. But in the meantime, you can subscribe on our website for the latest episodes. Thanks for listening and see you next week.